Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. 2014's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, written and directed by Anna Lily Amarpour, was promoted as the first Iranian vampire western. Although when I have been describing it to people, I've said it's the first Iranian skateboarding vampire western. It's in black and white, all the dialogue is in Farsi, and Michael and I watched this movie. Oh, and watch it we did, Kevin. So, uh, usually, like, traditionally, uh, in October, I think it's fun to to drag something out that's a little on the spooky side, that also has skateboarding in it, and uh, I thought this fit the bill. Uh, you know, because I think the first year we did the VHS yes. viral, and which I <laughs> I did not like, and uh, I think last year we did Chopping Mall, which was wonderful. Which I did <laughs> and this year we did uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is very different, I think, from both of those movies, and is something I'd always been meaning to see, and had always been on the short list of things I wanted to cover on this podcast because I knew that you know while it's not a skateboarding movie per se. Uh, there are definitely like plot related scenes involving skateboarding and the, right. you know, the title character who is a vampire does ride the skateboard in the movie. There's about 20% more skateboarding in this movie than the last 10 movies we've watched. So put together, <laughs> yes, put together. So I was delighted by that. I had, you know, in, in reading up on this movie, uh, Anna Lily Amarpour, who wrote and directed it, uh, is a lifelong skateboarder yes. and she was the double for all of the skateboarding scenes where oh the, that's ex- that's exciting where the vampire uh girl was you know riding her skateboard around bad city i guess uh you know they they say that this movie was shot in california but it ostensibly takes place in iran but it takes place in kind of a fictional iranian city called bad city which to me, seems very heavily influenced by Frank Miller's Sin City. Yeah, when when they said the name of the city, I was like, so it's just, you just went with Bad City. Cool. And and that actually leads me to, I think, my favorite thing about the movie, which was that it was just really simple and straightforward. You know what I mean? It didn't strike me at all that there was anything tricky about it. It was just... It played out very linearly and very neatly to me and didn't ask too much of me as a as a viewer. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a it's a mood piece. It doesn't have a very it doesn't have a very Byzantine plot, but it kind of goes along at a certain pace. Um, You know, I'd read in interviews that, again, like there's a strong graphic novel influence. Yes. So there's a lot of these kind of, you know, landscape tableaus like some of the characters having, you know, these sort of terse discussions. There's not a ton of dialogue in this film and what dialogue there is tends to be, you know, characters saying exactly what they mean. Yeah. You could see, you could almost see the word bubbles above their heads. Definitely. Yeah. And it's in Farsi and uh, Anna Anna Lily Armapur was, was born in England and grew up in the U S but her parents are of Iranian descent. So she, she knew the language, but I don't think it was her, her first language, but I think that was, something she wanted to portray. And I think, you know, she had said that kind of the most 
uh, fanciful thing about the movie is there's a character called Rockabilly who's yes. uh, sort of gender bending. And, and she was like, that would be like very illegal in Iraq. Yes. Yeah, uh, definitely. More so than the the skateboarding vampire. But I I generally dug the movie. I did think it occasionally uh, got a little too show offy with its shots, with like the way it was shot. I think some of the shots were very much, uh, look at me, I'm a cool looking <laughs> shot, which, you know, I have a lot of time for, but, it, you know, when it takes me out of the story right, and is seems to be more about the shot than about the story, like that's, that's when I kind of uh, have a little problem. And it wasn't, and it was only a couple times that that happened for me in the movie. Uh, but it was, it was like sort of there as this tension I had while watching it. Unless your name rhymes with Shmam Shmamey, you yeah. kind of, you kind of can't, you can't really get away with that. I, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about it. Well, afterwards, cause I, 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 wa- we, I watched it with Megan and we both just liked it. And I think that I, I tend to have a, a an affection for movies that I sat down to watch with almost no preconceived notion about what it was about. Like I, the only reason I knew it was a vampire movie is because you mentioned it. Other than that, I really, and that there was a little bit of skateboarding in it. I had no idea what the movie was at all. And so it just, you know what I mean? I like you, you go into a movie like that and you're completely innocent of any expectations. And I, yeah, I thought, I just thought it was like a really kind of sweet, simple movie that didn't ask too much of me. And I, and it was perfect. I, I actually, I think I would say I actually liked the movie, not just, oh, I thought it was okay. I liked it. I had a good time watching it. I didn't say love, <laughs> but I did like it a lot. It's, I think it's a likable movie. It's interesting because it's, uh, it's like, it's, it's, it's also like a very cool movie. Like, I think it's a little self-consciously cool. Like it's got the yeah. spaghetti Western vibe, you know, it was distributed by, by vice yeah. like, rather than by a studio. Um, I, I think it was partially funded through an Indiegogo campaign. Sure. Uh, and as as an uncool person, you know, there's a part <laughs> of me that that sort of was like, well, this is what cool movies are like. But uh, I, I think it succeeds in what it sets out to do. I, I think there's a reason this movie made kind of a splash. And I think yeah. why Anna Lily Armour has like gone on to, you know, get bigger budgets off the backs of this. I mean, I think this is a very impressive film uh, that was made for not a ton of money. Um, I think, you know, uh, there's a long tradition of kind of artsy vampire films, which I am generally in favor of. I think, uh, I think the next installment of this, we're going to have a a couple guests on. We're going to talk about like our favorite vampire movies. Uh, So a preview for that, but no, I'm usually up for an artsy vampire movie. I'm not like the world's biggest scary movie fan, but I tend to not find vampire films particularly scary. Right. You know, Michael, the uh, blood sucking is a metaphor for sex. It is it, Kevin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's that had not occurred to me. That the, the vampire the, stories, the, Michael, can sometimes be very erotic. <laughs> Are you saying that it's sort of a, it's like in the place of intimacy, it's a, it's like a different kind of intimacy. Ooh. And, and maybe sometimes uh, it can be, 
can be a metaphor for addiction. <laughs> no, well, geez, that's another many, man, many you, layers. You, yeah, I got to tell you, you're you're really kind of opening me up here. I I I, I watched the movie completely, uh, you know, literally, and just uh, I never realized there could be a, a, a underlying theme, as they say, as the first person to make these observations. <laughs> I feel it's incumbent on me. To share these insights. Well, I got to tell you, Kevin, I am, listening I, I am proud to be the co-host of the podcast that blew the lid off of the off of the uh, unspoken underlying theme of vampire films. Here's what's really going on with the vampire movies. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> Vampires. Va- there was a club scene which is uh which, which always happens in vampire movies and Yeah, a- vampires love clubbing. They love clubbing. Well, it the nightlife, Kevin, it, they like the nightlife and subsequently they like to boogie. I um did like how in the vampire I think the the I guess her, the character's never named the vampire so she's just referred to as the girl. I did like how in the girl's bedroom she had like a poster of the first Prince album and a poster of the first Madonna album and a Bee Gees poster but they couldn't get the rights to those images so they recreated them with really other people yes. Oh, I did. I I caught them in the background, but I didn't realize that it wasn't actually Madonna or Prince. Or yeah, I was I was watching. I was like, oh, that's not actually Madonna. And I looked it up, and it was they couldn't get the actual rights to those images, so they just recreated them. It's in an alternate reality. That makes me like it even more. Bad City has its own way of doing things. Yeah, its own its own rules, Kevin. The pimps and the streetwalkers are out in force in Bad City. Because um, there's only about what, like six characters in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that might be an overestimation. It's like the dad. Yeah, it's there's the dad, there's the pimp, there's the girl, and there's uh, our main dude, and then the the little kid. Yeah, and the little kid, the street urchin. Yeah, which brings me to the only actual issue I had with the whole movie, which is. I've decided that it's it's for me. I'm what I'm shipping. What's canonical for me is that before they leave town, they give that fucking kid his goddamn skateboard back. The idea that there's this little street urchin who has nothing except a skateboard, and then the vampire just steals his skateboard from him, bummed me the fuck out. So as they were driving away, I was like, I like to think that they just left the skateboard in an alley where he would find it, and he gets to at least have his skateboard back. So that he can continue having something to look to to live for in his tiny little life. I I really liked the scene where the girl confronted the street urchin, though, because you're like, is she going to kill this little kid? I don't know, because like when she kills the pimp, you're sort of like, well, he sucks. Well, I think that to me, that was the thing. She she's if you want for me, the underlying theme was that they were like. The, the rockabilly kid and the girl were bad only in the circumstances of which they were just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me that she was only feeding on bad people and was giving people who were, who were at least trying kind of a pass. Yeah. Which is a popular vampire trope. Like, you know, Lestat did that in the Anne Rice books and, and right. Angel and Buffy, you know, would, 
feed on the bad people. Like that's a very I'm common. tortured Kevin. Yeah. This might be a good time for your angel impersonation. Oh, I do a really good angel. It's really um, good. Okay. It's I do you think the listeners could handle it? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna set it up. Okay. Okay. Um Angel has re-entered the 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 realm of humans, and he is naked and confused, and looks up to see the face of his beloved Buffy, and he says, "Buffy, yeah, it is. It's, it's, I, dude, now, Kevin, I, 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 I didn't want you to play actual audio from the show. I wanted you to just do your impersonation. So, if we could try that again, yeah, as we've established in in previous episodes." Very recent episodes. I am good at impressions. It's true. You you really transported me to a to another place in time there. Not to get off on too much of a tangent, but because we're talking about movies next week, I will go on a little bit of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer tangent. Let's get into it. Um, and how over the years I've kind of hardened my heart, and uh, I, I think I'm a tough, I'm a tough cry, but the second season finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where Buffy has to send her true love angel to hell to save the world um, gets me every fucking it's, time it's a, it's a heartbreaker man oh that music comes in and I don't think I have ever like that might that may be my favorite episode of television ever yeah. I don't think I've ever yeah. anticipated a season premiere more than the summer between the, that ep, that season of Buffy ending and the beginning of season three. I remember at the beginning of season three going to my friend Rich Borges's house, and we were primed. You were ready. It's funny we did we did a re a rewatch of Buffy recently, and you know I have I, there's so much to say about it. It was it it held up in every possible way, and I think. To me, the mo- one of the most effective and saddest moments in that show is when she finally, you know, when they bring her back from the dead and she's all freaked out and confused. And I maybe it's in the musical episode where she finally admits that she was like went to heaven and was happy and they fucking brought her back. And now she's here again. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like that is that's rough, man. Well, she tells Spike that at the end of the second episode of the sixth season. Right. Which is called Afterlife. Um, And then the rest of her friends who were the ones who actually brought her back from the dead find out in the musical episode because she sings it. That's I was not prepared. That fucking got me. I was like, wow, that is heartbreaking. (laughs) That was the sixth season of Buffy gets a bad rap sometimes. And I think it's because there's a subplot involving willow getting addicted to magic oh yeah as if it's drugs and that subplot does not work on any level at all (laughs) that it's it sure isn't a fun watch that's for sure really bad and ineffective but the, the other stuff in that season i think works pretty well especially the the spike buffy stuff yeah man it's great i i think uh works works way better than it should but the willow addicted to magic subplot because it seems like they're initially going dark phoenix with willow like she's she's like addicted to power like she's and 
that's what's going to drive her to the dark side. And then they just take a swerve and they do this drug addiction metaphor. Um, and as we've already established, Michael, uh, the vampirism is <laughs> the metaphor for drug addiction. Um, so having magic also be the metaphor for drug addiction, it's too many metaphors for drug too many metaphors. And uh, it just it didn't work. Sorry, but and you know I think the seventh season uh, doesn't doesn't hang together particularly well either. It they're running on fumes at that point. It feels like you can kind of tell that Sarah Michelle doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, she's like, all right, that's that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's enough. I could be making <laughs> crueler intentions right now. Yes, I, I could be making Scooby do part four <laughs> and instead i'm stuck here with you yahoos which it's you know we're not even getting into uh buffy creator joss whedon's um from from all accounts uh toxic behavior yes while making that show to various cast and crew people and uh if you read the interview with uh him in uh, new york magazine recently where he attempted to give his side of the story uh, I feel like there is no better example of digging yourself a worse <laughs> hole than that fucking interview. Hey, why don't you shut the fuck up? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but God damn it. Uh, I can't I can't say I didn't love that show when it was on. It got me in all the feels. I've it's never fantastic. Loved, never loved a TV show like I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, I remember when you were, you know, at in at the at the time that it was contemporary, you guys like just just preaching the word of that show and me begrudgingly sitting down and watching an episode and being like, all right, yeah, it's fucking good. Like I I you know, it's funny, I, I think a lot about how there was like 10 years of my of maybe my my entire twenties where I just wasn't ever at home <laughs> and never, I didn't watch any television because I was just out doing shit. But, uh, and because I remember you guys would like watch the show at the apartment. And uh, I, I, at one point I, I sort of found myself finding ways to be at home <laughs> so that was something so that I could kind of hang out and watch that show with you guys. Cause it was, it was cool. Yeah. I did. I didn't have a, like, we didn't have a television for a while. And then I clued into how good Buffy was, and I was like, "I, I got to get a fucking television." Yeah, yeah. Watch this. Got to watch this show because if, if, if I'm not mistaken, I came home one day and where I was like, "Oh, we have a TV," and you were like, "Buffy, man, we got to, <laughs> we got to get into it." That's absolutely what happened. Uh, yeah, because then we would have these kind of like Buffy watch parties, which I think you would sort of. Uh, so you were sometimes there and sometimes not because uh, the rest of us were like. You know, we we need to watch the show and then debate on the internet. <laughs> I was a creature of the night in my own way, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, and yeah, that's that's why I didn't have a TV because I had uh, I had I had uh, punk rock shows to go to. So many social engagements. The, so the little city, time. the city of Providence was an oyster of fun at the time. It's true. There were many things to do and uh, many people to see. So. That in and of itself, not not uh, unlike Bad City. Now leaving Bad City, population six, six, six bad people, six bad people <laughs> in a bad city. 
Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Skateboarding is not a crime.